though it is uh, pretty hard for me to believe this, it was 30 years ago at this very time of year uh, that I was called to be the new pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in nearby Laurel, Maryland, uh, which I served prior to coming here to St. Andrew 22 years ago, which is also hard for me to believe. Uh, but one of the things I remember my, about my very first meeting with the leaders of that congregation in the summer of 1989 was asking them uh, how their church got started in the first place, uh, to which a group of them chimed in and said, well, uh, we live in Laurel, uh, but we were going to church at uh, Trinity Lutheran in Bowie or at Holy Cross Lutheran in uh, Greenbelt. And uh, one day those two pastors, one of whom was the late pastor Ed Berner, whose uh, wife Nancy is now a member of St. Andrew, came to them, came to us, they said, and uh, they looked at us and they said, you're fired. We don't want you here anymore. We want you to start a new church in Laurel. And so they did. And earlier this year, I preached for the 50th anniversary of that congregation, which just goes to show you that uh, time flies when you're having fun in the Lord. Two weeks ago, we heard the testimony of Mangesha Shibru, our missionary intern who has come all the way from his native Ethiopia because two people in his life conspired and said to him, you are going to Silver Spring. And so he did. And two weeks from now, our new associate pastor and his wife will get to town, we think, in time to worship with us uh, here in advance of his installation one week later because on Wednesday evening back in May in a chapel in St. Louis, Missouri, they heard the words, you are going to St. Andrew. And so they are. And now we hear it again from the 10th chapter of the gospel according to St. Luke when Jesus himself sends a group of 70 people into new places where he wanted to go, where he wanted his message to go in order to bring them this greeting of peace and to proclaim the kingdom of God, which is another way of saying the power of God's grace. And so they went. And those are the stories of some ordained, not ordained, but all of whom were sent by Christ to go to some new place, to some new relationship, and to deliver a message that would change hearts and lives forever. And so that's the contest, context in which I want to talk to you a little bit today about what it means for you and me and us together to be sent into the next new place, into the life of the next person that we might meet with that same life-changing message. Now, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we are told that Jesus sends a group of not just two or three, and not even just 12, but this time a large group of 70. Now, in case there's a little confusion about this, some of your Bibles will actually say that the number was 72 and not 70, or 70 plus two, while other translations uh, and other Bibles that you may have put the number at 70 or 70 by two or divided by two, or in other words, 35 pairs or groups of two. And that's because the earliest manuscripts of Luke's gospel uh, are inconsistent with what that number actually was or how it was expressed. Although a lot of people really like the number 70, 
uh, because of its symbolism, because uh, there were 70 elders with Moses on Mount Sinai, and those Jesus called, you know, would have certainly been flattered to be part of his 70. You know, others point out that the number 70 corresponded to the number of people uh, who were members of the Jewish high court, otherwise known as the Sanhedrin, which was, would have been his way of saying that there was a new law coming into this world. There was a new way of, uh, you know, getting right with God, a new way of dealing with sin. Still others point out that uh, 70 was the number of translators of what is known as the Septuagint, which uh, actually means 70, and it was the Greek translation of uh, the Hebrew Bible, uh, which took place many years before Jesus was even born, and again would have been his way of saying that a new word of God was coming into the world, a new message of hope was arriving on the scene. And, uh, and then there are those who say that the number 70 or the number 72 was you know, just a coincidence, it was just a random number, and that what I really ought to do is get on with the rest of this sermon. But whatever the number and whatever the reason, the point is that Jesus was expanding his ministry and he was expanding it by expanding the number of ministers who were involved to cover not just the region of Galilee, which was his home territory and base for mission, but to press on toward the south into the land known as Judea, which included the holy city of Jerusalem, which he does, saying in his usual first century Palestinian agricultural way, the harvest is plentiful. It's great. The laborers for the harvest are few. Therefore ask, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest field, after which he tells them to go. Go to those places where he wanted to go, where his, he wanted his message to go, and bring that greeting of peace to women and men and girls and boys, some people who had their whole life ahead of them, others whose time was growing short and proclaimed to them the power of God's kingdom of grace. Now, when I was a little kid, uh, I would hear that passage and my pastor would preach a sermon on that uh, passage from Luke chapter 10. And I assumed that the harvest field was someplace very far away, somewhere in this world where people hadn't even heard of Jesus yet. And we would sing mission hymns, and sometimes we would even take an offering uh, for missionaries. And that's because I grew up in a world, a country, a nation, a society, and in a culture in which Christianity was just booming with growth. And I mean, churches were springing up like crazy. I mean, all over the country. As members of the greatest generation got back from World War II, and the baby boom was in full swing, and they were bringing their children to the Lord, bringing them to faith, bringing them to the church, because they knew that when everything else in this world gives way, God is the only thing that we have forever. In the meantime, there were millions, tens of millions of European immigrants, including my own grandparents, 
who were aging, but they were still around, still worshiping, still serving, still setting the example for the next uh, generation. So that in the decade of the 1950s, our one denomination grew by 65% just in one 10-year period of time. It was an amazing time. Our seminaries were graduating classes of new pastors that numbered, you know, 125, 150, or more than 150 every single year. That time has passed. And everything has changed. Not in Africa, not in Asia, where the Christian faith is growing rapidly. It is booming. But not in Europe, not in North America, and not in the United States either, where in the last 10 years, our own one denomination lost 400,000 people, even as the population of the country continued to expand and to grow. My seminary graduating class had 92. Our former associate pastors had 76. Our new associate pastor is coming from a class of 40. In the meantime, studies of American religion are consistent in telling us that the fastest growing single group of people in America today is known as the nuns. Not Roman Catholic nuns, but those of no affiliation. That's the fastest group in America today in a culture that has been referred to by countless people in and out of the church as post-Christian, which hurts my ears. And it tells you that if you were coming to worship on a Sunday morning at the Lutheran Church of St. Andrew in 1965, that meant you were part of the culture that you were living in. The fact that you are worshiping at St. Andrew today means that you are part of the counterculture. And we could talk all day about why that is. And, uh, you know, some people in the church, you know, blame our culture. Or they, uh, they blame our wealth. And all the other ways that we can spend our time. Or the, uh, they point to the secularization of our society where, you know, we, we just don't want to bow down to any authority. And, and at the end of the day, we're going to do what we want to do. And God better get good with that. People outside the church have a different point of view. They say that the church is judgmental. It's irrelevant. They hear the word evangelical and they immediately think of a voting block of people instead of people who got fired by the power of the Holy Spirit and whose highest priority in life is to bring the good news of Jesus into the hearts and minds of people in every town and village around the nation and throughout the world. We can talk about it all day long, but the question is, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about the fact that the harvest field is right here? What Jesus did is he sent people who love him. To engage the culture, to find people who were broken, hurting, guilty, and bring them a greeting of peace 
and a proclamation of the kingdom of God, which is to say the power of grace that would change their lives in time and for all eternity. Uh, you may have noticed, uh, and in case you haven't, there are actually three primary sections uh, to this passage today from Luke chapter 10. Uh, the first section is really uh, the part about the sending. Now, in the Greek New Testament, the word for send is actually the word ekbalo. And it's always translated, or almost always translated, as the word send. But it's not the kind of sending like when you drop a letter in a mailbox and then you just walk away. It's not that way. Ekbalo is uh, sending with force and with energy and with uh, power. Uh, this is a word that has to do with you know, things like you know, heaving a log or throwing a football down the field or, or casting a line into a river or a lake to catch some, uh, some fish. At call day back in St. Louis in May, our denominational president uh, was talking about the cheerleaders at a game who would take those rolled up t-shirts and you know, pull back on those giant rubber bands and just let them fly into the crowd. That's ekbalo. That's the kind of sending that happened that night in the chapel. The word ballistic comes from ekbalo, which has energy and power and force. And so when Jesus sent this group of 70, or 72 if you want, out into those towns and villages, he wasn't saying to them, you know, I have an opportunity for you if you're interested. When I was a teenager, my father did not say to me, Mark, I'm sorry to bother you. I hope this is no inconvenience to you. But if you perhaps could see your way clear to go to the store for milk and bread, I would be so happy. But if uh, by chance, you know, running errands is not your spiritual gift, I completely understand. <laughs> that is not how it went. I went to the store because I was sent to the store. And I, went, I was sent to the store because I had a relationship with the one who was doing the sending. That's the word that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 10 when he tells those 70, I want you to fly into that crowd because everything is at stake. The second section has to do with warnings and instructions for that journey. Buddy up, he tells them. Travel in pairs because the roads of Palestine could be dangerous and threatening and you're going to need each other. Buddy up because you're going to need each other for spiritual support. Buddy up together because you're going to need each other for uh, the quality of your witness. And that is because in Jesus' day, uh, two or more witnesses were required in order for any testimony to be considered to be valid in the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy. Don't overpack. Travel light. Loosen your grip on the things of this world that weigh you down, that slow you up, that distract you from your primary mission. When you get rejected, and there are times when you will be rejected, don't take it personally. 
Because when they reject you, they're really rejecting me. When they listen to you, they're really listening to me. So that at the end of the day, this isn't just about you. This is about me working through you. This is about the fact that you're fired with the power of my Holy Spirit in your life. And the third section is the return of the 70 when they go back to Jesus. And according to Luke, they are just so happy. They are filled with great joy because some people said no, but a lot of people said yes. And they watched the devil get the hell out of those towns and villages on the power of God's grace, on the force of Jesus' message about the kingdom of God and his transforming gift of salvation in each and every one of their lives. And, you know, if, if that passage doesn't have all kinds of implications for your life, for your journey as a Christian, for your relationship with God, for your witness to other people, I don't know what does. You know, for the last several days, our nation has been celebrating freedom and uh, giving thanks for those who sacrifice secured it for us. As I give thanks for freedom, I also pray for the one thing our nation needs more than anything else, and that is spiritual renewal, revival. As I pray for renewal and revival and a harvest of nuns coming into the family of God, I give thanks to God for this community of sisters and brothers who got fired, who send his message out into this world every day to all kinds of people in so many different places, in all sorts of different ways, people who buddy up in the name of the Lord because the road can get pretty rough out there sometimes. People who put down whatever it is that distracts them, whatever it is that gets in the way. Because as I've said many times before, our Christian faith is always one generation away from death if we do not do this. And because you and I today are part of the symbolic 70 who have been sent to fly into that crowd and turn the world upside down with the grace and the truth of Jesus. Every day, and I don't know, dozens of times every day, I hit send on my PC or my laptop or my phone, and then I see the words come back. Your message has been sent. Someday we're all going to stand before the Lord. When my time comes, I want to be able to say that to him. Your message has been sent through me, through my life, through your church in Silver Spring, Maryland. I pray that that vision would be realized in you and me and all of us, in our church, in every church, for the freedom and the peace and the salvation and the hope and the joy of our nation.
and every nation throughout the whole wide world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to rise as we join together in prayer.